Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we're in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 10, and uh, I don't know about you, I'm probably the happiest guy in the room to have moved on from chapter 9 to, uh, this week, all right? Uh, chapter 9 was fun. It's that, it's that chapter that you kind of wonder, man, everything was going well, and then, Paul, you got to hit us with this grand mystery of, of grace and election and what's prede- and predestination and who's saved and who's not, and all of that stuff. And uh, so, like I said, Scholars have wrestled and churches have wrestled, denominations have wrestled for centuries about that. I don't think we came to the point where we figured it all out, uh, but hopefully you were able to come away with a a deeper understanding of of God's grace and his mercy and his love for us, that his love never fails, but that our God is in control. And um, in his uh, sense of control, he has made salvation available to us. And that's what we're going to be looking at in chapter 10. I'm a little happier to move on to chapter 10. And well, last week... I. Man, preparing the message, it was probably one of the harder, harder weeks in preparing the message for me. This week, I had really no trouble getting to the outline of the message, but the trouble I had was narrowing down one outline because chapter 10 is just a, it's really, it's really beautiful in the way that it's presented and in the fact that it follows the difficulty of chapter 9. Um, it's, I think it's just beautiful the way it's laid out there and the way Paul laid that out and how the Spirit guided him to do that. Um, so we will possibly, quite possibly, Lord willing, spend a few weeks in chapter 10 looking at this chapter from a few different angles, okay? How many of you use a, uh, use a GPS when you travel, when you go places? Okay, a few of you, uh, some of you are still using like maps or something. Okay, maybe, a, maybe you've gone over to AAA and gotten a trip tick or something. I remember that. My mom used to go over to, did anybody remember trip ticks, right? How many of you still use them? I know my mother uses them still, uh, loves them. But really the trip tick and the GPS are kind of the same idea, right? Uh, I remember the trip tick. It would have like, you know, you, you, go and you go there and the agent will map out your route to where you're wanting to go and it would have a big highlighter running down the map. And that map was like a huge kind of blown up image, right? It was like a, a zoomed out image of your whole trip. And then when you change the pages, it would go to more detailed turn-by-turn information. That's what our GPS does, right? You go in, you punch in a, you, or, or your, maps, your maps app on your phone or something, you punch in your destination and then the first thing it's going to do is show you from point A to point B. And it doesn't matter if you're driving for from here to Jasmine County, it's going to map that out. Or if you're driving from here all the way to, you know, the Pacific coast, it's going to map that out and you're going to see the whole route on one screen. And then you hit go and then what happens? Zooms in, right? And you begin to see the streets and all that stuff because you can't see every street from here to the Pacific Ocean, right? You got you, you to take that overview. And then as you zoom down, you start seeing what you need to see for the journey. We're going to kind of take that big map overview of, the, of, of Romans chapter 10 today. We're not going to dig down into the nitty gritty and into the details of all the things, but I wanted to look from a, from a general overview standpoint in chapter 10. And I believe, uh, kind of looking at this, I believe it asks us the question or it begins to set up uh, for the church, for the believers, for followers of Jesus Christ as the theme of the book of Romans has been primarily on the gospel of Jesus Christ, the importance of the gospel, where the gospel came from, how 
we got the gospel, all of those things. And now we come to, in chapter 9 through 11, we're going to see how Paul is really talking about how Israel, by and large, God's chosen people, really rejected the gospel because they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And, and they are currently still, still kind of living in that national rejection uh, of him. And, and Paul talks about how it's breaking his heart that his, his countrymen and his countrywomen would, would, be, would, would be that blind to Jesus Christ. And, but it relates to us. What we have to understand as the church, the the church of the Gentiles, living in this Gentile age and in the church age, we have to understand that we are not Israel. God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for his church. It's all cohesive and it's harmonious, but it's different a little bit. God had a different plan for them in the past and he's going to do things different with them uh, and special with them in the future. But we can pull wonderful examples and interesting metaphors that we can apply to our life today what we understand about the gospel and his view, uh, his view over all of humanity, whether you are a Jew or whether you're a Gentile alike. So this morning, I want to look at this overview this morning, and we ask the question, what must I do with the gospel? We've looked at what is the gospel. We've looked at who needs the gospel, why we need the gospel. What do I do with the gospel? As a believer, as, as, as believer in Jesus Christ, as part of his church, as the church of Jesus Christ, We've been stewarded with this beautiful, powerful, life-changing, world-shattering message that there is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ our Lord. What do we do with that message? What are we supposed to do with it? Last week we talked about who should receive the gospel. This week we talk about what do I do with it. So let's look at verse number one. We're going to read all the way through the passage uh, this morning, and then we're going to kind of like look at, look at it from that, that helicopter view. It says, brothers and sisters, so we know he's talking to believers here, right? He's talking to those who have believed in the Messiah, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's part of the early church, and says, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, and he's speaking, those them there is speaking of the Jewish people, his countrymen, his, the men and women who had been taught all along their whole lives the Messiah would come and then they missed Jesus as the Messiah. He said, my heart's prayer and desire for them concerning them is their salvation. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to their knowledge or proper knowledge. Since they are ignorant of the righteousness of God and they've attempted to establish their own righteousness, they've not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. But since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, he says, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven and that is to bring Christ down or who will go into the abyss because that is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? It says the message is near to you in your heart or in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If, we can, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. See, one believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek. Because the same Lord of all riches, uh, richly blesses all who call on him. And I love this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone who calls. Chapter 9, we wrestled with how will they call, can they call, all of that. He says, here's one thing we know, anyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. 
How then can they call on him who have not, they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? This is where we begin to see the importance of the gospel being shared to everyone. And how, and as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Jesus Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Yes, they did. Their voice was gone out to the whole earth. And their words to the ends of the world. Speaking of the prophets and the ministers. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. And I will bring you, uh, I will make you angry by a nation that lacks understanding. And Isaiah says boldly, I was found but those who were not, by those who were not looking for me. I revealed myself to those who were not asking for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and to a defiant people. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that as we, as we wrestle with your word and while we know that it, no human being has the ability to possess all knowledge of you, to figure you out and to understand every single thing about you, for you are high above us. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. But what you do tell us about you is your thoughts are for your glory and for our good. Your thoughts are thoughts of love and mercy and patience upon your creation and we have unjustly walked away from you, rebelled against you in our sin, but in your love and your mercy you still have created and mapped out a path to you and it goes straight through you, Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning as we talk about what do we do with the gospel, I pray that the gospel first and foremost would be very clearly preached this morning. So Spirit, I pray that you would speak today. I pray that I would hide behind the cross I pray that your word would go forth as you see fit. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, as we've been talking through the book of Romans, we've seen that, that Paul is all about the gospel, right? That's, that's what he's here for, right? Um, last week we tried to answer that question, are there holes in the gospel? Are there holes in the gospel? Does God really make salvation only available to someone or does he make it available to everyone or has he picked and has he chosen other people uh, to be saved or not to be saved? And to that question we have to say this. There are no holes in the gospel. If there were holes in the gospel, we shouldn't be here listening to it. I shouldn't be up here preaching it. If there's holes in the gospel. And here's the thing. God has chosen to save all who would place their faith and their trust in him and receive the gift of salvation. And that's why it says here in our passage that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. That's why it's important that we continue to preach that gospel. So this week we need to answer another question about the gospel and that is what must I do with the gospel? Since the gospel is so important and because all need to hear it and since it's so precious and it contains no holes and it is truth and is the only truly life-giving truth, how do we handle this great and precious message known as the gospel? Our text, Paul is still using that example of the people of Israel, like I said. He's still using about how, uh, that, that negative example of how they had turned away from Jesus Christ and their negative response to the gospel of Christ and how easy it is to have such a powerful and beautiful message and people still miss the point. It is very possible and we continue to see that take place. As we continue to preach the word of God, we still see so many people say, I just don't get it or I just can't follow this Jesus that you're talking about. So what do we do? 
we have this beautiful message and hopefully this morning that message has changed your life and is continuing to still change you and sanctify you as you walk with the Lord. Hopefully, church, we haven't gotten over the gospel. I hope that's not the case. Hopefully, we haven't gotten over how good Jesus is. Like if we've gotten used to our salvation, it's just become, you know, well, it's just the way things go. We have come to a place where we have lost our gratitude for the goodness of God and the miracle of being saved. So let's consider five things that we need to do with the gospel. Because for the church of Jesus Christ, living in that, 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 this, this, Gentile, this Gentile existence like we are, I think the lesson here that we grab is somewhat the same. I don't think we can say that we've missed the point largely because we still want to preach the gospel. But what we need to be sure of is that we're not botching this message. That we're not mishandling this message. Because this message is holy. This message is sacred. This message is pure. And we must do our very best to steward it properly. So how do we do that? The first thing we have to understand that we must do with the gospel is we must let the gospel be provocative. Now, when you hear that word provocative, especially in our culture, we hear that word provocative and we think, ooh, seedy, right? We think maybe TV I shouldn't watch or something like that because it provokes within us controversy or something that is probably not good. But what we mean here by saying that the gospel needs to be provocative is that word provocative just means that it provokes a response. We have to let the gospel be the gospel and the gospel is provocative. It asks us and begs us to make a choice. Will I follow Christ or will I reject him? No matter how many times we want to look at it and say, you know, I'm just not sure what to do with the gospel. I'm just not sure that I'm ready to receive him. We've made a decision, right? The gospel brings all of us to a point of decision. And for the church, those of us who say, I've already been provoked by the gospel. I'm already saved, pastor. Move on to point number two, because I've already been provoked. Let me ask you as a church, are we continually provoked by the gospel? What I mean is, does the gospel and the, the cause of the gospel to seek and to save the lost, does that still drive everything we are and everything we do as a church? In other words, does the church have a reason for existence outside being provoked by the gospel to share the gospel with a lost and dying world? See, the gospel will always provoke a response to receive it or reject it, but for the church, considering what I need to do with the gospel that I've personally received... What do I do with it? How is, is it provoking me to continually act in, a, in the way that God calls me to act? It must be the fuel and the passion for our ministry. It has to be the compass that guides our direction and solidifies our mission. It has to be the burden that we carry with us each and every day. It has to be the thought that we wake up with is that there will be so many people today that will enter into eternity and it must really burden our hearts with the idea that I don't want to see anyone enter into eternity without knowing Jesus Christ. It needs to be the thought that dominates our heart and our mind you see, consider the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ended to heaven. All the way back over in Mark chapter 16. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said this. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. All right? Whoever believes and whoever is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And he showed the urgency of the gospel. He said, look, everything, eternity, humanity's eternity hinges on the gospel message and whether they receive it. So the most important thing you can do as I go back to heaven to prepare a place for you is to share the gospel far and wide. See, that by the way is a command that's still in effect for us today. Not just for those, not just for those 11 remaining disciples that would go on to become apostles and help to form and start the church. 
It's a message that is for each and every one of us. Whether we stand behind the pulpit, whether we sit in the pews. It doesn't matter. It's a message for us to go and to preach the gospel. Right before Jesus ascended back into heaven, the last thing he told the disciples was, go and preach the gospel. I don't know about you, but if I'm getting ready to leave for a long time, I save the most important details for last, right? Those, the, the things that I want my family to know if I'm leaving for a long trip is, I want you to know I love you. I love you. I'll miss you. I want you to know those things. I'm not going to say, hey, babe, don't forget the, you know, the dryer's still running. All right, that's, that's kind of second tier issues. This was Jesus' last words, his last wishes to them saying, hey, before I come back, be busy with this. And it's the same message to us today. The gospel needs to provoke our action as the church. Look what it says in Romans chapter 1. Brothers and sisters, Paul says this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. So Paul is continuing this discussion that he started in chapter 9. And the thoughts on the Jewish people and how his heart breaks for their rejection of Jesus Christ. Remember back in chapter 9 verse 1, what did Paul say? His heart was so broken for them that he said, if I could give up my salvation so they could be saved, I'd be willing to do that. Now, Paul knows that he can't because the only person who can save is Jesus Christ. But he said, my heart and my passion, I'm so provoked by the message and the cause of the gospel and the need for salvation. I'm so provoked by that. I'd be willing to give up my own. And he says, my heart's prayer and my desire as I pray before the Lord is to intercede on behalf of the lost. Church, I want to ask a question. When was the last time that, that honestly governed our prayer at church? When is the last time that governed our prayers in our devotional time with the Lord? Was the last time that, that you had someone on your heart so burdened that you know they didn't know Christ, that you just prayed and you wept and you shed tears and you said, I cannot get up from here until I know heaven has heard my plea for their salvation. I think this is one of the problems that we have today in, in, in our churches today is that we're more concerned with other things. We're more concerned with the dryer that's running rather than the fact that Jesus gave us a great command to go and share the gospel. And I think it shows. We're more concerned with whether, you know, our policies and our ideas and our thoughts and our ways and our values, everybody assimilates into those values. Well, how can we expect people to assimilate into those values if they have not been assimilated into the gospel? That changes hearts and lives. Paul was provoked by the gospel. Are we provoked for the gospel? Personally, I look at verse number one. Personally, I look at verse number one. And this week, I was challenged hard with that. Think about my prayer life and what has preoccupied my prayer time and my thoughts and my ideas as I sit down and I plan and I think and I think about what we're doing as, as a church and what our future is and what our future activity is to be. And I have to say, a lot of times it's been on things other than the gospel. That's why gospel to every home is such an important thing that we are a part of. And I urge you and I encourage you to take part in it. Take part in it first by prayer and by support, but take part in it personally as well. Can I honestly say, and I was asking this of myself, can I honestly say that my heart's desire is for the salvation of the lost? Are my prayers saturated with desperate pleas with God that the lost be saved? And then I go back to chapter 9 and I ask myself, man, will I, do I ever see myself getting to a place where I say, God, if I could just give up my salvation so everybody else could be saved, I think I'd be willing to do that. 
that is the provocation of the gospel. See, it's the provocation of the gospel that sent Jesus to the cross. It's the provocation of the gospel that while Jesus was wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was arrested, and he's saying, Lord, if it's your will that I don't have to do this, then let this cup pass for me. But then he says, nevertheless, if it's not, not my will, but yours be done. He was provoked by the urgency of the gospel that what must be done so that people may be saved will be done. It's what provokes us to obedience to God and to the leading of the Spirit for his church. See, does the gospel truly drive our mission and our zeal here at Graceway? That's a question we have to constantly be assessing. Can we honestly say that Graceway is a church that is provoked by the gospel? I realize it's written in our mission statement and in our statement of faith and in our core values and all of those things. And I realize that it's affirmed regularly from the pulpit and we nod our head and we say amen, but is it that's just because that's what we're conditioned to do. You see, because our faith will be determined, will be seen by our action. So, when we have these opportunities to share the gospel, are we looking for opportunities to share? Are we looking for every excuse to get out of the Spirit's leading of doing that? The gospel must be the number one provocation of the church. Number two, the gospel, what must we do with the gospel? Number two, the gospel must be Christ-centered. The gospel is the gospel because Jesus is the center of it. Right? Without the Jesus, without the Jesus, without Jesus, there is no gospel. Without Jesus, there is no gospel. Now, to quote my great, great uncle that lived in England in the 1800s, Sherlock Holmes, he said, this fact, this fact should be elementary, my dear church. And I know you're like, I had no idea. You're no, I'm not related to Sherlock Holmes. It's hard to be related to someone who's a fictional character. Right? You'd be surprised how many high school students are like, are you really related to Sherlock? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I am. It's in your history books. Uh, our education system. Anyway, like I said before, Paul is continuing his thoughts from chapter 9, especially the last part of it where he quotes what Isaiah the prophet had said about how easy it is for human nature to minimize or reject Christ. Look at verse number 33 of chapter 9. It says, as is written, look, I'm putting a stone in Zion to stumble over and a rock to trip over. It's prophetically talking about the fact that Israel would stumble over Jesus because they were more tied up in their idea of what it took to get to heaven and what it took to get to God rather than what God provided for us and how God got to us. And he says this, he says, while some may stumble over it, the one who believes on him will not be put to shame. That while so many people will stumble over that rock, those who believe in him and put their faith in him will never be put to shame. The stumbling block all the way back in the Old Testament is Jesus. We know today is Jesus. Jesus is a stumbling block for a lot of people. Jesus is a stumbling block for a lot of churches. Right? Just because we're a church doesn't mean we're always going to get the gospel right. And that's why it's so important that we are constantly pulling ourselves back to that focus. Is the gospel that we preach, is it centered on Jesus Christ? Right? Look, I, I believe... I believe that every part of this word, Old Testament, New Testament, points to Jesus Christ. Points to Jesus Christ. That means all the way back in Genesis, when God was saying, let there be light. Guess what? John tells us, in the beginning was the word, was Jesus, and the word was with God, and Jesus was part of that creation. Jesus is the centerpiece. He's the main character of the word of God. And here's the thing, church, he needs to be the main character of our church. It needs to be the main focus of our life. It's, this is, none of this is about us. 
It's about him. The gospel needs to be Christ-centered. And look what he says in verse number two. Paul says this. He says, I can testify about, about my Jewish brethren and, and sisters that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He's like, man, they, they love God. They, they're all about God. They're all about God things, but they don't have the right knowledge of why they're doing that. And verse number three says, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. So when God said, here is my son, I have reached to you so that you may come to me. They said, no, we like following all the rules and regs and we like the legal ladder that we're trying to climb. We don't need Jesus. We need to follow all the laws. And the Bible says that the laws were never intended to save, but to point out the need for salvation and the need for Jesus. And what they said is, and what, G, what Paul says, they've established their own righteousness, their own sense of righteousness. And then I love what it says here in verse number four. And this is the beautiful message for us. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Like he's the end of the law. Doesn't mean he's abolished it. He's completed it. That all those desires of God that he lists in the word of God are for a reason and that's to point us to Jesus and show us God's plan for our lives. But we'll never reach that until we come to him. Until we come to him. Again, Christ is the end. He's the end and he is the beginning and he's the center of all of it. He is the gospel. He is the gospel. And, and, and let me say this too. Jesus doesn't need help. In the gospel. We'll talk about that in just a second. Then we see this very famous passage in verses 9 and 13. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how is salvation? What does the gospel call for us to do? It calls for us to look at the work and the person of Jesus Christ, how he died, how he rose again and say, that is my savior. I trust him and Jesus is my Lord. It is he that I will serve. And in him, all things make sense. And in him, all of it, all of God's grace comes to me. This is what it really comes down to. The gospel asks us to recognize Jesus as Lord. To place our faith in Christ as our only source, our only hope of salvation. When we struggle with the gospel, a lot of times what we're struggling with is, I just can't recognize Jesus as my only hope. Whether we think it's got to include me some way, shape, or form, or there's got to be more to it. What, any of those struggles that we're having reveals that Christ is not the center of the issue. Because when Christ is the center of the issue, and when Christ is made Lord, we see that he is enough. He is more than enough. He is all I need. See, there are a lot of false gospels out there today. A lot of side piece gospels, if you would. Right? And as the church, we're really at risk of getting sidetracked or seduced by some of those false gospels or even trying to marry the gospel of Jesus Christ to something other than Jesus. Right? But, as, but here's the thing. If you're trying to marry something else to Jesus to make the gospel more palatable or seem stronger or something like that, look, the, Jesus already has a bride. It's his church. Jesus doesn't need a cause or an ideology or something like that pinned to him to make him more acceptable. Because the gospel is Jesus. It's Jesus. Plus Jesus, minus, uh, plus nothing, minus nothing, it's him. Like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Church, he must increase, we must decrease. Look, if somebody comes to 
to, to one of our services or to, some, to an event or something like that and they come and they walk away and their life has been changed because they came to know Jesus Christ and they walk away but they're like, man, I don't even remember the name of the church that I went to. Guess what? We've done our job because we want to magnify Christ. As a church, we have the choice. We can either make much of Jesus or we can make, make much of something that won't matter that won't matter a hill of beans when we stand before Jesus. That's what it comes down to. We can make much of Christ or we can make much of something else that's not going to matter one bit when we stand before him. So the gospel must be Christ-centered. The third thing that we see is the gospel must be preached. What do I do with the gospel? Well, we need to preach the gospel. I don't just hoard it up and, and look at it like some of the things that we, you know, some of the times what we do with our knickknacks or with our antiques or something like that. What's the temptation when we get something that's of real value? We want to hide it away, right? We don't want to expose it to a lot of people because that could diminish the value. Listen, the gospel is, is the only treasure in the world that becomes more valuable and more beautiful the more that people touch it. It is a treasure that the church holds, but we must not hold it back. It must be a treasure that we share. This is a pretty simple deduction in logical thought, right? If God will save all who call on Jesus, then all must be informed that they must call. See, this is the, the, the logic that we're given in our text. Look at verse number 14. It says, how then can they call on him that they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, if you remember the verse that I shared earlier from Mark when Jesus was saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone, right? This is how heaven views those who preach the gospel. He said, you're beautiful. And he said, you're so beautiful that even your ugly feet are beautiful because those feet are carrying the gospel far and wide. Because you're carrying a message. You're carrying the treasure of eternal life to people. You're carrying the treasure of Jesus Christ to people. And even those dirty, nasty feet are beautiful. Like we, in our culture, we balk at feet a little bit. But in, in, in the ancient Middle Eastern culture where sandals were kind of the footwear of the day and they walked everywhere they went, feet would get really dirty and really nasty. It was the custom that when you came into a place, you washed your feet immediately. We're more of a washing hands kind of people. We'll dust our feet off a little bit and things, but we don't sit there and say, man, I need to wash my feet. But this is beautiful imagery for us. That even the dirtiest part of the body in that culture is beautiful when, that, when those feet carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible says about preaching the gospel. And, and this is how heaven views those who share the gospel. That you may, you may have not a whole lot to offer this world. You may not be the prettiest person. You may not be the smartest person. But when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, heaven cheers you on. And it's beautiful in the eyes of heaven. But here's what the Bible says about preaching the gospel here on earth. How does the rest of the world view it? Verse number 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what was preached. See, in heaven's eyes, preaching the gospel is beautiful. The most significant thing that we can do. In the world's eyes, the gospel is foolishness. It's an ancient fairy tale. It's an old story. Now in today's culture of deconstruction and, you know, people like to be angry at the church. It's damaging. The Bible says it's beautiful. The foolishness of preaching is beautiful. And it says this, because God's foolishness is wiser than human's wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Here's what this means. That there's never going to be anything ever 
eternally more valuable than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even when the majority of the world and even some of the church say, there's way more important things that you can be doing. God says there's nothing more important. As a pastor, I, I, I read a lot and I hear a lot from church leaders and church analysts and experts and, and church life and all that kind of stuff. And they bemoan the fact that church attendance is dropping at a dramatic rate all over the place. Not just here in our area, but you know, I could sugarcoat it, but it doesn't take much to look around and see that that trend is, is alive here at Graceway. We look around and <clears throat> when we replanted here in 2019 and that first year, man, things were going really good and then COVID hit, right? And then all of that stuff and, and it's been <clears throat> hard for people in any church. Most churches on average are seeing about a one-third or a two-thirds retention rate of what things were before COVID hit, right? There's a lot of things to blame for this phenomenon, right? Some people blame COVID. Some people today say, I, I just don't want to go to church anymore because of all the recent scandals that have come up in the church in recent years. And some share stories of abuse and manipulation within the church. Some people say they can't put up with the hypocrites in the church. Some say the evangelical church lost its way and became more of a political super PAC rather than a house of worship and a house of ministry and a house of hope and healing. And I agree. Absolutely with all those things. I believe that there is truth to every part of those things. You can't deny that any of those charges against the church. You can't deny any of those charges. You can't say, no, that's not true. But here's the, here's the thing. When I look in the word of God, I see that God still has not changed the agency through which he wants to see the gospel proclaimed. So for the church, it is vital. It is vital that we do repenting, we do soul searching, and we need to get back to preaching a Christ-centered gospel that adds nothing to Jesus or takes nothing away from Jesus so that the gospel can begin to do the healing that it was meant to do. We get in the way of it when we lose our focus on it. I believe that if the church of Jesus Christ started just preaching and living the gospel again, that people would find it really hard to find something better to do with their lives or better to do on Sundays. What an honor it is that God has chosen to use his agents, us as his agents, to spread this great news. But how many times do we balk at it or look for different ways to do it or say it's just not good enough or I have to add this to it or make it more palatable? Look, folks, what's more palatable than you are lost and dying and without help, but God in his mercy has chosen to save you. So the gospel must be preached, which leads to the next obvious point, and we're closing out with this, is that the, th is that the gospel must be received. The gospel must be preached and the gospel must be received. See, the thing about the gospel is that, it, like I said, it, it provokes a response. You can't deliver this message. You can have salvation through Jesus Christ alone. You can't present that message and just walk away and say, without saying, would you like to receive that? Or offer that chance. And a person that hears the gospel can't just hear that message and just walk away without dealing with what they've just heard. See, in my Bible, the publisher's heading on this passage of Scripture that we're looking at is Israel's rejection of the message. And again, we have to remember that Paul is emphasizing the tragedy of Israel rejecting the gospel message. But what Paul is saying here is that their rejection is so tragic because it wasn't for their lack of hearing it. 
It's much more tragic because they heard, they knew the truth. The truth lived and walked among them and died right in front of their eyes and they still said, no. The truth was right there and they rejected the truth. The tragedy today is that as the church of Jesus Christ, we run the risk of not presenting a true gospel, a true Jesus Christ to people. And that becomes tragic because if people don't see Jesus, the true nature of who Jesus is, they may get the false idea of who he is and what he's supposed to do. But see, for Israel, their entire history was about learning of God, waiting for the Messiah. And then Jesus himself came to them as a preacher, calling them to repentance and to faith in him. And look at verse number 16, which is just a heartbreaking verse. But not all obeyed the gospel. They had all of these benefits. They had everything given to them to point the way to Christ. He says, but not all believed for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But then I ask, Paul says, did they hear? And then he says, yes, they all heard. They all heard. So in essence, we see the sadness of the majority of the prophets of the Old Testament and the preachers of the New Testament age that the gospel was preached, the message was heard, but the message was not received. It's because we can preach the gospel. We can make sure that it's Christ-centered. We can do everything we can to be provoked by the gospel and allow the Spirit to provoke us. But ultimately, it comes down to, will the gospel be received? And when it comes down to the gospel, we all have a part in it. And church, here's the thing too. It's not just enough to hear the gospel one time and say, hey, I need to be saved, so I don't need the gospel anymore. No, we need the gospel every day to motivate us. We need the gospel every day to focus us. We need the gospel every day to sanctify us. We need to hear the gospel preached over and over and over and over again because it becomes our strength. And when we're saying, I got more important things to do on a Sunday than to gather with my brothers and sisters and review the old, old story and, 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 and encourage one another with the old, old story and encourage one another with Christ and draw closer to Christ together. What we're saying is, I received it to this point, but I'm not going to allow it to continue to have its full work in my life. See, God provides it. Everyone has a part in the gospel. Everyone in this picture has a part in the gospel. See, God provides the gospel through Jesus Christ. The church preaches it and calls people to Christ. And followers preach it and call people to Christ. But we must receive it by coming to Christ. See, God doesn't force his grace on us. We must receive it once we hear it. And we have to keep receiving it as the church. Not saying we get saved over and over again. Because once we are saved, we are always saved. But God forbid if we ever come to a point where we look into the word and say, Man, I'm just about tired of hearing about that. Because we always need that gospel. And again, I call you back to that verse in 1 Corinthians about the foolishness of preaching. And it says, God is pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Again, there is never, never going to be anything more eternally valuable than preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is never anything more eternally vital than hearing that message and responding to it and receiving it. Because without it, salvation is not ours. Some say that We've got better things to do, more important things to consider. Maybe ball games on the weekend, cheer contest, brunch with my friends, or I just really can't find the time for church anymore. But ironically, we somehow find a way to binge four hours of Netflix every night. And I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not trying to sound angry or anything. I'm, I'm coming from a place of hurt because I know within my heart and based upon this word that there is going to come a day when the gospel message is going to be the only thing you're going to want to have time for. 
when we stand before a holy and righteous God and he says, what did you do with my son? And we say, well, man, I just, I was so busy. I didn't really have time for him. You think maybe you could do me a solid? And he says, man, I gave my son to come to you. And all he did was say, come to me, all who are weak and all who are burdened. Breaks my heart. Don't make me mad. Just breaks my heart. And my fear for so many people is that by the time the gospel becomes the most significant thing to them, it's going to be too late. Because if you wait until you're standing face to face with God at his throne before you reckon with the gospel, you've run out of time. It's what we do with it now. When the gospel is preached, it provokes a response to receive or to reject. The choice is ours. So the gospel is significant and we can't botch it and we definitely can't afford to reject it and we definitely can't make it about anything other than Jesus Christ because the stakes are high and they are eternal and it is a matter of eternal life and it is a matter of eternal death. You see, what we're doing, church, is not just playing church, not just having a nice service, not just getting together. We are here to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves souls. And that is eternally significant. And that leads us to the closing point this morning. I said I was done, but I'm not. This is the conclusion and the invitation. The gospel must be received, must be preached, must be provocative, it must be Christ-centered, but the gospel must be repeated. The gospel must be repeated. This is why we must never stop preaching the gospel because it is so important and it is so vital. And I want to close by looking at verse number 21 today. It says, To Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and to a defiant people. I love this verse. And you're like, man, why do you love this verse, man? There's a lot of negativity in it. Yeah, but I want you to see the positive piece of that language there, right? There's a lot of negative language about people's posture to God, defiance and rebellious, right? But what does it say about God's? He has his hands out. As defiant and as rebellious as we are, what is God's posture to us? The hands are out. And what we've learned through Easter time is those hands that he holds out are scarred with nail holes in his hand because he came to us. The gospel is repeated and what this tells us here is, and what we're going to see in, in chapter 11 is that as Paul is so brokenhearted about God's people, Israel, having rejected the Messiah, the Bible says that God still has a plan of redemption for them ahead. That God is patient in our defiance and in our rejection, he is patient, but his patience won't last forever because our life doesn't last forever because the weight of sin is death and only in this life can we receive Christ. So we must receive him before time runs out. So we, we need to take from this is that God is patient and continuous in his offer of the gospel and his offer of salvation and church, that's what we must be as well. And I fear that for the most part, what a lost and dying world is seeing and hearing from the church is, we're just done with you. And church, we don't get to be done with the people we're supposed to reach. We don't get to. We don't get to. God's posture towards the defiant is one of reaching out in grace and mercy. And that needs to be the posture of the church of Jesus Christ as well. So the question as I close out this morning is how does this resonate with us today? How does this resonate with you? That the, the gospel is the only thing that's going to save folks. So we better make sure that we're taking good good care and good attention and good careful measures to make sure that we are preaching a gospel that is centered on Jesus Christ, that is preached consistently and is shared and that we are praying that when it's preached, it will be received.
That's what we're intended to do. No, as the church, as the church, we're intended to share the gospel. Maybe we've been spoiled and maybe we're a little bit like Israel. Maybe we've been spoiled by all the exposure that we've had to Jesus in the gospel. Maybe we're guilty of being apathetic about Christ or maybe we're guilty of trying to enhance the gospel with other things. You know, saying that the gospel leads to this better. No, no, the gospel is the greatest realization. Maybe we've rejected the gospel and today you realize that you can't do that anymore. Maybe you've heard the message that Jesus loves you. He died on a cross to save you. He rose from the dead to give you life eternal. And that what you must do is place your faith and trust in him. Repent of your sins and he will save you. Maybe you've heard that so many times you're just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's just become white noise in your spirit. My prayer today coming in was that it would not be white noise. That it would be a blaring alarm that you cannot turn away from. We need Christ. That's one thing I can say for certainty. I may not know much about a whole lot of people and I may not know much about a whole lot of much but I know everyone needs Jesus. Everyone. Have you trusted him as your savior? Well, yeah, I've, I've been part of this church. Or I've, been, I've been in church. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm saying, do you know Jesus? Have you trusted him as your savior? If you have not come to Jesus, come to him today. Place your faith and trust in him and know him as your savior. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Will you call on him in repentance and faithful trust? As we bow our heads and as we close our eyes this morning, I ask you, what's your response? What response do we have to this message? Is, do you see some of yourself in some of these points that I mentioned? Are we not as provoked by the gospel as we should be? Maybe we've been trying to add things to Jesus or minimizing Jesus in some way. We'll never get anywhere good when we do that. Maybe we've ceased to preach the gospel. Say, I don't know if I, I don't even know if anybody wants to hear the truth anymore, so I'm just going to hold out until I get to my eternal reward. Are you burdened that people receive the gospel? And are we thankful that God is still in the business of saving folks? Do we have that patient spirit that God does with lost humanity? Maybe you need to come today, rededicate. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone specifically. Maybe you need to be saved. Whatever it may be, let's work. Let, us, let the spirit work and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, have your will and way in this time of response and invitation this morning. Do as you see fit. I pray that you have been pleased and honored and glorified in this. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.